Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. We are here to discuss Uncanny X-Men number 238, the late November issue. Uh, this one was on sale July 19th of 1988 with a cover price of a dollar. It's titled Gonna Be a Revolution. And the cover, you have all of the X-Men bursting out of hell. I don't know. It's just a big red uh, inferno, if you will, behind them as they're bursting out. I feel like this cover is slightly misleading because you've got Wolverine and Rogue in this pack bursting out with the rest of the X-Men. But whatever. A bunch of magistrates in the forefront in the uh, the the blues and um, grays that we have seen in previous issues or uh, covers. I feel like this is a great concept, but a poor execution. Yeah, it, excuse me, it does kind of, it, it's not um, Silvestri and Green's best work. It kind of seems like they rushed this one. Especially the guy in the front right or bottom right corner who is looking back at us at Wolverine's claws that are, even though Wolverine is, it's just weird. Yeah, there's a perspective issue. Like Wolverine, he's coming at us, but his claws are like over and in front of this magistrate. And then because of this perspective issue, the guy behind that guy with the rifle pointing at long shots, ankles, I guess, looks tiny. Yes. It's very weird. Uh, But whatever, you know. It is what it is. One of Sylvester's strongest backgrounds again. Yeah. Yes. The background of nothing. So we open this thing up and uh Adam, I'm I'm I I told you off the podcast that uh I'm trying Marvel Unlimited. Yeah. And right now it's just sitting here loading the page. It's <laughs> <laughs> not not a resounding endorsement here for Marvel Unlimited. I uh there is a, there. Okay. I, I have discovered that it does that if you if you go backwards. Sometimes it will do that. All right, I'm going forward actually, and it's just this one page. Like all of the other pages are there, just not this page. Oh, here it is. I've never had a problem <laughs> going forward. So all right, this is going to be a fun one, audience. I'm trying Marvel <laughs> Unlimited, and apparently the cloud is not happy with me. But I do have my page. Uh, it is written by Chris Claremont, Mark, Mark Sylvester is the penciler, Dan Green is the inker, Glynis Oliver is the colorist, Tom Morzakowski is the letter, Bob Harris is the editor, and Tom DeFalco is the editor-in-chief. And we have a full-page spread of a young red-headed woman, girl I should say, in a field picking, I don't know, daisies, and there's a bunch of butterflies flying around. Sounds about right. And uh, they're listening to a song, there's a song in the background, I guess, called Gone to America by a group called Steel Eye Span, which I was going to look up and I never got around to. Yeah, I felt like I didn't care enough to look it up. (laughs) It's either real or it's not. And those are the two options. So, (laughs) Well, that's true. I'm guessing that it's real and it would be interesting to like reread these panels because these are some moving panels. Uh, um, But... You know, I imagine that Chris Claremont's got like a score for this next uh, segment that's happening, and it's to this song. But I'll never know. So, so we're actually we're we're watching a playback of a video here, and we there are a couple voices discussing uh, what they're they're visualizing or what they're seeing. It's a it's a psychic transcript from the mind of the examining telepath. 
just kind of a neat idea. They've transcribed her mental impressions to recreate this movie, essentially, that they're watching. And apparently the... Uh, so this, we're, we're inside of Madeline Pryor's mind, um, which I don't think they say right away, but it's pretty evident. It's Madeline. The telepath, the examining telepath, as you mentioned, is represented by the gene engineer, whose name I can't remember. Let's call him Earl. Uh, I think it was Thomas Gene Engineer. We'll see it. I, I don't remember his name either. Frederick Earl Engineerus. Yes. Actually, I did a smart thing. I loaded the page that has all of the cast in this, so I should be able to look this up. Although the not smart thing is talking about it as I'm doing it. Um, Philip is the Gene Engineer's name. Moreau? Yeah, sure. I feel like anyway, that, that sounds right to me too. <laughs> so yes, uh, and he's he's watching the video, and he's like, "Whoa, that's me!" Uh, as he's in the background of this girl who's picking daisies in the field, and there's a whole bunch of magistrates uh, even further in the background, and they start talking. Um, Gene Engineer says, uh, "Who are you? Um, what is the meaning of this childhood facade? Where your true personality should be?" And this next panel, Adam, I feel, and it's probably a stretch, but I feel like it's the connective tissue back to Avengers Annual Number 10. <laughs> Would you like me to explain, or do you already see it? I know exactly what you're talking yes. about, and uh, I did not <laughs> I did not make that connection. Philip Moreau is the son, oh, okay. not, not the father. So this will just be Dr. Moreau. <laughs> and the island of? Yes, the island of Genosha. And I think we already made that joke. So she says, I was sick, but I got better. And I made sure to take a screen cap, and maybe I'll post this on the Facebook page. In Avengers Annual Number 10, uh, we go way back, uh, and this cop goes to this nun, uh, nun and gets introduced to this little girl, and she says, I'm Maddie Pryor. I've been sick, but I'm better now. And either uh, Chris Claremont just likes the name Maddie Pryor and likes to envision them as sickly girls that get better. <laughs> or these are the same characters. I want them to be the same characters. Well, you know, we know we know a bit about Madeline Pryor that we don't know quite yet that could make that certainly possible. But I don't think it's ever confirmed, and it, 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 it could fit. It could work. Oh, no, it, it's absolutely not confirmed. I think from a writing perspective, I think uh, Chris Claremont realized that he reused the name Madeline Pryor. <laughs> Somebody probably called him on it. And now he's making a reference to that first Madeline Pryor oh. uh, on purpose. That could be. Like, I don't think this is an accident. Okay. It just seems way too much of a coincidence for it to be an accident. That dialogue is, like, practically the same. It's, yes. So anyways. And then, he, and then she goes, on, why, why are you yelling at, uh, at me? Why did you hit me? And in her eye? Or in... Yes. Is it her eye? Or is it uh, Gene Engineer's eye? We see the Phoenix effect. It's her eye, because uh, the, the eye says, why do you want to hurt me? And it's got these lovely little lashes. Yeah, that's true. Feminine lashes, which which seems sexist to me, but... Yeah, I, I guess lashes are lashes. <laughs> I don't know what makes these more feminine. She's wearing mascara. Especially this is like a this is a kid. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so he, he points at her, says, you're not human. The magistrates raise their weapons. Uh, she's going on. She's like, I am what I am. You made me. What men like you have made me. Yes. 
Magistrates open fire, shoot the killer. They all open fire. The telepaths pack panicking these magistrates, their representation of, of his own psi power, as well as his team of support telepaths. And they wonder what's happening as I think we get another more or less Phoenix effect, but with a woman inside, probably Madeline, an embodiment of Madeline anyway. She's changing. She isn't human. They keep firing. They say she's a mutant. She's not human. This guy in the lower right, uh, in the upper panel says, kill her, kill her, kill her. <laughs> as much a bird of fire as a woman, says another magistrate. Uh, the phoenix goes flying through the Genosian city and says, if I die, oh man, it will not be alone. And she blows up the uh, island of Genosha um, using the citadel, citadel as the apex. And out of the, <clears throat> out of the rubble and ashes... The gene engineer walks and he's like, "What am I dressed like this?" And he's he's dressed like Mister Sinister. Yes, with a kind of a miscolored Mister Sinister. Like a skinny, frail, pathetic-looking Mister Sinister. Like I, sp- I, I feel like we're not supposed to remember that this is Mister Sinister's outfit. Oh, okay. Eh, maybe. You're right because you're right. We only really have seen him once. True. True. And it's been a while since we've seen Mister Sinister. Uh, and then he looks up onto the re- uh, debris, and she she's like, you're different. And she's in her goblin queen outfit. We first saw it when Sim tricked her into choosing, what, the fourth option, the evil Madeline Pryor option. Mm-hmm. Yes. And uh, the Dr. Moreau says, why am I dressed like this? What do you want? We get some dialogue that she's confused. She doesn't really, they don't think she knows the answer to the question. But she recovers and says, because it pleases me. And the other answer, it's a warning to your masters. Be careful when you strike a match, even if you only, uh, only to light your way. Because you never know when you're going to ignite an inferno. And the screen goes blank. And she kills Mr. Sinister Gene Jr. in the dream. Who do you think that's a reference to? Uh, smoking? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So we cut to uh, the out the room where the television screen uh, cuts to static, and we see a bunch of uh, magistrates and men in suits and ties, or I guess shirts and ties, um, looking rather disgruntled, upset by what they just saw. Apparently, all that happened in thirteen seconds. So, do you think that? I mean, I like, I really, I've always liked that opening montage because I feel like it's it's like an origin story, or it's it's like the secrets uh the secrets of this character but do you think that um chris claremont knew every not everything but most things that were going to happen next or do you think he just kind of has an idea and he's starting it here um i think he's been kind of i don't know that he necessarily knows all the pieces but i mean he definitely knows what's coming okay um and he's been building up to it um as as for like how this connective tissue works, I think my guess would be that he's just going for a kind of cinematic style opening sequence, which I, I think he succeeded with. Oh, totally. Yeah, I think it's very effective and, and moving opening sequence. It almost feels a little out of place, but it's still cool enough that to me anyway, story wise, that it doesn't really matter. We get a reference to the last issue. Someone says, upon entering the laboratory, we found the examining team dead. And that's where we picked up in the last issue where 
we saw Madeline kind of on a slab as everybody around her was dead. And one of the suits pulls at his collar and says, that's a neat bureaucratic understatement. <laughs> the poor wretch has returned to bits. Mutant 9818 was sedated and returned to her cell. And he asks Wipeout, like, what happened? Why didn't you erase her powers? He's like, I did, uh, but I can't wipe out what uh, doesn't exist. Doesn't exist, the engineer says. She slaughtered the examining team. Brushed aside their psychic defenses as if they didn't exist. Um, And then uh, he goes on to the lieutenant woman person and says, like, you also let those other mutants go. So that's bad. She's like, we'll get them. He's like, all right, well, we don't have time. Let's go. David. His name's David Moreau. Uh, the island of David Moreau. <laughs> <laughs> so she goes to visit mutant 9818, i.e. Jean Grey, and says, what are you? And she says, I'm Batman. <laughs> <laughs> mutant prisoner 9818, the, the pilot you kidnapped, the woman you and your pet Gestapo have been happily torturing. He goes on and say, you butchered my interrogation team. And she's like, that's what you say. But all I remember is being strapped down with your telepath. Next thing I knew, I was in my cell. You call it butchery. Others might call it self-defense. But what I think and feel and what they and, and want don't really matter, do they? I was condemned from the moment I arrived here. Here's my question. Um, does Madeline know exactly what's happening to her? Does she have an inkling of what's happening to her? Or are we in kind of like dual personality uh, phase? I think at this point she has an inkling of what is going on. And um, I think she's turned a page. Okay. So, yeah, I, th I think she knows what's going on. She's not entirely herself at this point. So she's not full on Goblin Queen, but she's like, something's happening here and i i don't know if i mind it yeah she's not entirely disapproving okay i think i buy that in this juncture in the story i think a couple of chapters ago she probably had no idea of this other thing that was happening yeah for sure i maybe even last issue sure so he goes on and says starts talking about the the way of genosha and how they're the envy of the world and how that way that they have must be protected and we get kind of a lecture here she accuses them of slavery. They don't have freedom. And uh, our mutants are well cared for. They want for nothing except freedom. Except freedom. They're as free as they need to be. Ooh. Which is a bad argument. <laughs> they don't want more freedom. They, they, they wouldn't know what to do with that additional freedom. We're, we're doing them a favor. So they kind of argue back and forth. And, the you know, it's not terribly... Uh, the uh, basically it's two people arguing their sides when they don't necessarily agree with each, with each other. Um, but then the uh, the chief magistrate comes along and she says what I think kind of is the crux of the argument, which is uh, you shouldn't argue with her because it gives your uh, her views of validity. They do not merit either. We are right in what we do, in which case argument is pointless or we are wrong, in which case argument is pointless. 
Yeah. I think is a good point. Yeah, if we do not question the course of our lives, we remain true to it and make sacrifices uh, as required. And and throughout this, we've been getting some uh, neat sort of close-up on close-ups on Madeline's eyes with the rest of her face in shadow. It's kind of neat. Yeah, there's some some good drawings. Um although this last one is like feels like uh, I'm tired of drawing her face. <laughs> yeah, but but it's still a good it's still a good drawing. I mean, these are these are some solid eyes. I like the effect of what's happening here. It's cool. It's cool. And then she goes on the chief magistrate to say we have word of your son, at which point we transition to the mutant camp that the Highlands. That yeah, that Philip was taken to uh, uh Carol Danvers, I guess at this point, and Logan are dressed up as magistrates and they're giving him a tour of a place they've never been to before. And they're like, look around, boy. This is where the mutants live. They've been around long enough to have figured things out. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> and they've lived a life too, but they're like, uh, look around. Like, don't you ever, didn't you ever think about where those mutants go after they work? They come here into this jail. They're slaves. It's prison. Which is a weird system because like we saw that Philip Moreau has had that gardener mutant. Mm-hmm. So you're saying that every night he, I guess, gets on a bus? I bet, sure. A train? The mutant train? The mutant train? Yeah. That's like a full-time job. Well, you know, he he probably works like a 14-hour day. You know, gets up at 7, eats some slop, heads down to the Moreau's, cleans up the garden. 7 o'clock at night, gets back on the bus, has some more slop, goes to bed, and repeats seven days a so. week. And he's been, so. he's been um, brainwashed, so at this point he probably doesn't know any better, doesn't care. Live and learn, kiddo, says Rogue slash Carol Danvers. Welcome to the Mutant Settlement Zone, a prison by any other name. And Wolverine goes on with the lecture. Out of sight, out of mind. Hmm? Don't you feel bad, boy? <laughs> <laughs> never imagined, never thought, never cared. Well, he, Philip true. is kind of like, why? Well, they're mutants. I always thought that, you know, they kept to themselves. That, you know, they, kept to the, they preferred the company of their own kind. Yep. Which eh, I don't know if I'd buy because anytime Philip has seen a mutant, he's been like, sorry, boss. I'll fix that, boss. Well, it, it's the privilege argument. You a, know. Yeah, I suppose. These, these, the, the privilege never necessarily think about the underprivileged. Sure. So he's probably already always had an inkling, but just kind of like swept it away. He's like, nah, they're fine. Yeah. Yeah. I, or, or more likely, I just don't want to think about it. Sure. So they keep going on kind of with this lecture. It's kind of the overarching theme of this comic book is where they beat the point to death. And it's not, yeah. it's not bad dialogue. Like as a reader reading this, it's, it's not bad. Uh, but as a podcaster trying to describe it, it's like, man, there's a lot of words here. Basically, Philip's getting a lecture. <laughs> yes, there's there's a lot of lectures about slavery is bad. Uh, a lot of lectures for trying. I, the, 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 I guess the the opposing side isn't as well written as the slavery is bad side because I mean, I, there's not really a solid argument that you can have against that. Which is why I like the magistrate, like the chief magistrate's argument was like. You know what? If we're wrong, we we're stuck with what we chose. Yep, we have to live with those. Well, she doesn't even say we have to live with the consequences, but either way, argument is pointless. So yeah, the magistrates move in now. So they're still at the slave camp. Philip's still getting the lecture, but then the magistrates show up and they're like, um, "Freeze! <laughs> we know you're muties." 
Well, the chief magistrate is there and she's she she interrupts their conversation and then some guy says, Come on, Gene Joke, make a move. And then some other guy says, Make our day. And this, this is Brian Cornish, one of our Patreon members. Oh, I didn't realize that magistrates had their own unique individual names. Well, see, this one does. And, uh, you know, he's actually not a magistrate. He just kind of like got into a situation that's over his head. Did he or is he undercover trying to uh, get some intel to report that back to S.H.I.E.L.D.? That's a possibility. Because mm-hmm. uh, uh, Brian Cornish here, he never actually fires on anybody. He he mostly just observes and, and has a, does he, he, you know, just a little bit of dialogue. I don't think he's got anything against mutants. Mm-mm. Yeah, just just observing. He'll he'll pop in a few more times in the issue, so we'll we'll find out what his views are. I can't wait to see what his arc is. <laughs> <laughs> so we move on uh, to a weird-looking ship that's transporting um, Philip, Logan, and Carol back to the Citadel to the Chief Magistrate. No, to uh, the Gene Engineer. Uh, basically, the idea here is that uh, Philip has seen what no citizen of Genosha should see, so they have to figure out what to do with him. And the the, the debate and the argument continues. Uh, Carol wants to know how they made them, and she's like, well, it was simple. We saw Philip talking to nobody, and then we saw you. She's like, oh, that sucks. <laughs> can't win them all which is kind of a, and, and rogue even is kind of like her expression kind of says it all like oh we thought we thought of everything dang it uh but i kind of like that device it's it's worked in their favor and now it's worked against them so this once mute your innate invisibility to electronic forms of detection proved your undoing snap so as they're getting ready to land uh they notice that there's some unpredicted weather yeah, turbulence. Yeah, and then the forecast called for clear skies. That's kind of weird. Now there's nothing but storms, says Brian Cornish. <laughs> and and Carol quips to Brian Cornish, care to lay odds, Brian Cornish, that it'll get worse? I don't know. They must have had like an off-panel introduction. Yeah, well, you know. It's, it's weird that she's using his last name, but... Hey, everybody, I'm Brian Cornish. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. <laughs> yeah, so I'll be your captor for the evening. Please try not to make a fuss. We'll get you to your <laughs> cell promptly. So we change our perspective to below in the prisons where uh, Jenny Ransom and Madeline are chit-chatting. Yeah, we learn, well, we, we, we don't get any new details on Jenny. She kind of is telling Madeline what we learned last issue that her mutant power is a healer, but she's not going to get to be a healer. But her children will get to be a healer. Uh, Madeline has a connection because back in that Alpha Flight issue, uh, X-Men versus Alpha Flight, she was also had powers and she was the healer. But she lost her powers and she lost her husband and she lost her son. And Jenny will be able to find the strength to endure. Are you kidding me? <laughs> What do you mean? Like, there's no asterisk to tell you any of that. I don't, I'm not disbelieving you, but I've read this issue so many times and I've, I, when I read I had powers once, I was a healer. I thought having them was the most wonderful thing in the world. I'm like, is she, was she just like, be, like, she's never had powers. She's just being sympathetic. 
you're right. There is absolutely nothing referring to that. I just happen to remember that that's what she's talking about. Well, it makes perfect sense, but I mean, uh, X-Men versus Alpha Flight probably came out five years prior to this issue. So if you're new to the book, you're like, what is she talking about? She's a normal human being. Yeah, there should probably be an asterisk. And and I was a, you know, a pretty steady comic book collector. I had a lot of stuff from a lot of different areas. I never had any X-Men versus Alpha Flight. So this little asterisk could have helped me. I could be like, what's she talking about? I better go pick those up. But yeah, I I you are correct. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Tom DeFalco dropped the ball. Somebody dropped the ball. (laughs) He's the chief editor. You know, it falls on him to make sure that some level of continuity is maintained here. Well, he's a busy man, but uh, Bob Harris should have been on the ball. Somebody. Okay. Well, fair enough. I've always been confused about that. Well, now you know. Neat. (laughs) (laughs) So that's when uh, she, she's comforting Jenny. Almost to the point of being like, we'll get out of this situation. She doesn't outright say that, but it kind of seems like she's leading her that way. But that's when the magistrates come and they're like, come with us, Mutant 9817. It's time for another session. I have a name. Not anymore. I'm Jennifer Ransom. When this is over, you won't remember a stitch of your old life. You'll be ready to begin the new. So I guess there are multiple sessions which lead to ultimate... um, Brain wiping? Brainwashery. Brainwashery. Okay. I'll see you all burn first, whispers Madeline. Mm. With a with an evil uh, word bubble. It's an evil word balloon, to be sure. So, meanwhile, uh, they fill up Logan and Carol pass by the mutant that was originally thrown on the airplane four issues ago, if you recall. Yes. And they're like, hey, that's the that's the baby that caused all this, isn't it? And we can give this line to Brian Cornish. Why not? <laughs> I don't know how he knows all this stuff, but whatever. Yeah, he's been reading the files. That's the baby caused this whole mess, he says. Product of a natural childbirth. That's a, uh, well, Rogue or Wolverine says that's a crime. Or a mute. Powers somehow negated the skin suit bond so they could take him off. But it'll never happen again, at least with that pair. Oh, Brian Cornish, did you kill them? <laughs> well, I think, you know, he's he's undercover. So, you know, it, it he had to bite his tongue when he said for a mute. Okay. He, he was just kind of playing up his cover. Like like you said, undercover shield agent here. Sure. And, and he read the file. So he knows that, sadly, those two mutants were killed. He's winking, like, at people randomly. And everybody's like, why are you winking at me? <laughs> Right, right. Wink, wink, wink. <laughs> Wolverine even comes out and says, "Killed him, did ya? Wouldn't surrender. They paid the price. Cost us a squad of magistrates in the process. Good for them." And they get taken to Gene Engineer, uh, like a I don't know, big meeting room conference table, and and they're they're like, "Who are you?" And he says, "Call her Ace. I'm Patch." Because I guess by now he is Patch, so... Thank God X-Men number one came out and... and or Wolverine? Yeah, or Wolverine number one and uh, Marvel Comics Presents. So that yeah. we could get the Patch introduction. Yeah, it's, it's, otherwise we'd be just like, oh, Patch, that's interesting. Although, I mean, really, it doesn't matter. It doesn't. Call her Bonnie, call me Clyde. It could have been any of that. So he's he says he's under... he's He's not in the mood for any games. Makes two of us... 
Philip uh, says, I've been beyond the Ridgebacks. I'd seen the camp, Dad. It's a prison. Why hasn't the country been told? And, you know, more of the moral arc of the story about how uh, mutants are humans and Genotians just like everybody else. And the uh, counter argument is no, they are appliances, essentially. And, uh, but they're not. Right. Gene Engineer says they're valuable and we're utilizing them for the good of us all. Is that so wrong? And Wolverine says, if you have to ask, bub, there ain't no point in answering. So he, he's he's wise old Uncle Logan in this issue. <laughs> yes. The people have a right to know what's being done in their name. And uh, we get that, that other, the argument from the, uh, chief, the magistrate. chief magistrate that... Uh, they they know already. They're you know we don't we don't publicize it. We don't make it a big deal. But people know, and and you knew too. Ask yourself why in your whole life you never once bothered about the mutes because you knew instinctively, subconsciously, you were afraid to ask because you were ignorant and you wanted to remain ignorant, and you knew. And Philip's like, oh, all right. Fine, but it's all still, still it's wrong. wrong, and you know it's not a free country, and I I don't want to be a part of this. And uh, the gene the gene engineer is worried that he's going to have to turn against his son. I beg you, consider what you say. These are state secrets. You're threatening the survival of our very country. Uh, Carol quotes some Bible. Duty before blood is the uh, is the essential line of that. Yep. I don't, I don't want to read the whole thing. You can go ahead and read it. No, no, no. Sacrifice unto me, your only son, your beloved Isaac. Duty before blood. Philip says, you do that? Leave me no alternative. It's the law, Philip, in my country. It's my country too, Dad. Only my vision of it is a lot more decent than yours. And that's when the rain outside the citadel gates comes down harder and harder. And the magistrates are complaining about it. I think Brian... Cornish is now outside, and he's like, "Get a move on, you lazy lot." He's definitely not. Oh, you're he not. Can't be. Oh, yeah, okay. he, he's still in the room. Okay. Well, maybe he like runs outside, does a line, then runs back inside. <laughs> he's he's all over the place. He's Johnny okay. on the spot. All right. Kind of. It's kind of <laughs> odd, but all right. He's you know he's an overachiever. As long as he's able to get back to the scene. Before the when we return to Rogue and Wolverine, I don't care what he does. He's bucking for a, a promotion, even though he's undercover. He he he's he thinks a lot of himself, <laughs> and he wants that promotion. So he's he's everywhere. Anyways, uh, it turns out that the X Men have dressed themselves up as magistrates. So we see Havoc and Dazzler and Longshot under the cover of the rain. They figure they can pass by undetected. And we switch back to the conference room where we're getting more lecture. Don't condone us. You're a ignorant, arrogant pup. Who the devil do you think you know? Can't speak for the boy, says Wolvie. Though I'm starting to think, uh, I'm starting to be proud to stand behind beside him. But I have been, I know I've been a slave. Didn't much care for it. And Carol slash Rogue gives a exclamation mark, question mark, exclamation mark. I feel like that's supposed to be like another, uh, reference to wolverine's past that we don't know about no no adam you're misreading it um okay carol says 
exclamation point question mark exclamation point i don't know why she says that it's but that's what she says well i think it's supposed to be like a a wolverine past thing where it's like oh wolverine was a slave once another another kernel of his past uncovered no i i totally agree but i don't i don't i don't know that kernel of his past i don't know that this ever gets followed up on yeah clearly he had it maybe he had an idea for the uh the wolverine series that they were he was gonna who knows unless he's talking about that time that mastermind captured the s the x-men yeah well see that could be that although again where's the asterisk bob harris (laughs) jeez yeah who knows um that will change says the chief magistrate when wipeout erased all memory of your old life oh yes he does that too and the gene engineer establishes a new one you'll love it here not hardly i'll die first and wolverine kind of falls over and pops his claws and he's sick and uh brian cornish says what's that coming from his hand why does brian cornish talk like that well, in this case, because he's worried about his hand. Oh. I mean, he doesn't normally talk like that. He's just kind of freaked out. Yeah. That's his freaked out voice. Oh, okay, okay. And then uh, and then Wolverine, with his uh, non-extended claw hand, basically punches Brian Cornish in the gut. Wow. And Brian Cornish says, arg. <laughs> well, as you, as you would. Yeah, yeah. And at this point, I mean, you know, Brian Cornish, you got to decide. Did Wolverine just gut you? Are you dead? No, I think he just got punched in the gut. Okay, he might actually be back later in the issue, so. (laughs) And we get, yes, uh, Carol grabs a gun out of another magistrate's holster and just starts shooting. Don't know who, but she starts shooting. She's just shooting at nobody. (laughs) (laughs) There's nobody over there. Yeah, she's just shooting the door. Blam, blam, blam. I love guns. And then we back inside from the rain with the uh, the squad of troopers that led into the rain before they had to re- show their IDs and Dazzler pops up somehow. Well, wait and a says, minute, hey guys, who says the uh, who says poor babies, the tough, the proud, the weenies? That is okay. So what happened before was somebody was like, let us in. Don't make us show our IDs. It's raining out. And now somebody inside who let them in because it was raining out is now calling them a weenie. Okay. Afraid of a little wet? Pathetic. Shut up, mate. You stand out there. See how much you like it. That's when Dazzler shows up with her Dazzle Blast and says, Dazzle Blast! (laughs) And uh, she's glowing, one of the magistrates says, you bet. And on cue, Havoc unleashes some of his plasma beams. Everybody down, hit the floor. The rest of the X-Men, Psylocke, Storm, and Colossus fly in on a gust of wind. It's through the hole that Havoc just created, I guess? I think so. I I just realized that now. Yeah. Uh, Wolverine and Carol duck down. Well, Carol's like, you can't pop your claws. You got no healing factor. You get shot to pieces now, Logan. You'll die. I'm dying anyway, Ace. So he jumps off in a classic Wolverine pose, jumping off like a steel girder with his claws popped. And he's like, figure since I got no choice and less prospects, I might as well go out with style and lots of company. And that's when we see some magistrates in gray with their eyes wide. 
A big dialogue box with tiny words of a guy saying, sweet mercy. And I think this is Brian Cornish's last line of the issue. Oh, God. So Brian Cornish does get killed in this issue. Well, we don't see what happens. <laughs> nah, it's pretty well inferred that those magistrates just got sliced up. Honestly, that panel is, to me, I don't know if it's directly, but it, it's uh, a bit reminiscent of when Wolverine jumped out at the uh, Hellfire Club goons way, way, way back when. Oh, so maybe those some of those guys survived. Yeah, so maybe Brian Cornish comes back uh, as a Reaver of some so kind. So Brian Cornish... You got to let us know what happened. Right. Just donate more money and let us know what happened. <laughs> uh, well, you don't have to donate more money. You just got to send us a letter. With more money in it. But if you want us, I mean, you know. <laughs> so anyhow, um, that happens. And the X-Men are trying to get through like some giant door. Colossus wedges it open with his body. And then somehow Dazzler shoots the door with light and it blow pops it off. It doesn't really make any sense because she's like, Colossus, it'll crush him. Got to focus all my power into the strongest beam of solid light. Can't fail, won't fail. Foom. Uh, seems like an over-exaggeration of her powers. Good shooting, Allison. Let us see if I can do as well. Slamo. <laughs> Is that what he says? Does he say slamo? The sound effects say slamo, but I thought I'd read it in Russian. I wish he would say slamo. Maybe he does. He kind of whispers it. Slamo. <laughs> Havoc says that the beachhead is secure. Now what? Uh, apparently the complex is psi shielded, so uh, Psylocke's no good. So they have to go find their buddies uh, personally, I guess, is what Storm says. Uh, Havoc goes in search of Madeline, blows open the prison gates. How does he know that this is Madeline's cell? He doesn't. Oh, okay. And he, he just uh, figures the cell block would be the most logical place to look. He does happen to uh, come across into Madeline's cell as we uncover, but he doesn't know that. Okay. It, what he finds there is a Genosian mutant suit, and the door is blown off its hinges from the inside. So somebody inside Madeline <laughs> blew the, the hinges off the door. Uh, and somebody else is in the cell with him, and it's Philip Moreau. Please, mister, don't shoot, shoot the... <laughs> Please, hammer, don't hurt him. <laughs> I'm looking for my fiance, Jenny Ransom. She's a prisoner here. Well, I'm after a lady named Madeline Pryor in the same boat. Maybe then, if you've no objection, we can look together. And we flip to... I don't know. I don't like this panel. We flip to naked Madeline. Holding a baby by her bosom. Holding the baby from four issues ago. Yeah, and they're in kind of like a, like the next panel, they're in like a nursery, and maybe this is the only baby they were able to save. This is where the gene engineer grows his babies. You don't know how lucky you are, baby boy, coming into the world the old-fashioned way, because this is the, the baby from the first Genosha issue. But the, the imagery of Madeline naked holding this baby by, it, it, it's, uh, it's startling. It's like, this doesn't fit in my comic book. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not sexy. It's, it's, it's disturbing. And I don't know why. Okay. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't find it disturbing. And I, and I, and I think it fits. It's the colors and I, mean, I guess she's, she's a mother. So she's, she would do anything to protect her baby and probably any other baby. It's not a very good drawing of a baby. That's a little disturbing. Yeah. Anyways, 
she's holding the yeah and she talks to the baby about how how he's safe and how she's lucky uh, and then she's talking she's talking to the baby but more talking to Jean engineer who's right behind her and she apparently senses that and says why do you think that is Jean engineer why did i sense that of all places i'd find you here perhaps i summoned you then you do have powers or the wit to run a bluff and the skill to make it convincing. Uh, I should shoot you. I'm going to do it myself. Put down the child. Remember your telepath? If my reaction to a psychic death was to rip them apart, imagine what the response would be to the real thing. He says he's not afraid to die. She dares him to pull the trigger. And he does. But Philip jumps in and pushes the gun out of the way. Is that what the clatch is? Or is that the uh, the, the hammer going down? Well, it's clatch and then blam oh yeah i guess he does shoot okay, okay so so i don't yeah. know if the clatch is like the safety coming off and then yeah, the... i think i think that's the the hammer yeah on the back of the gun and then in the next panel he does fire the gun as philip runs in and grabs his arm and says dad no madeline says havoc about time lover i was beginning to wonder if you'd forgotten me never wait are they lovers that's not been established. Well, she's she's naked, Madeline, and doing her whole, like, you know, hello, lover thing. <laughs> oh, so this is Evil Dead? So they're not lovers, but she's a demon. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Okay. I mean, it's been established that Havoc, get, Havoc gets a little testy when people talk about Madeline. We both know that they have feelings for each other, so she's it's like a it's like an, a really inappropriate flirting situation. But again, she's a demon, so it, it's it's life or death. I'm naked and holding a baby. Hello, lover. Was beginning to wonder if you'd forgotten about me. All right, well, whatever. I mean, obviously, we know it's happening next, so it's not completely out of place. It's her devil may care attitude. Yeah. Okay. Well, that works. Um. So he, uh, Philip wants to know where Jenny is. He aims the gun right at his father's chin and says, take me to her or I'll use this on you. Yeah. And, uh, so in the next panel, I guess uh, later, everybody is, uh, all the magistrates are, have their hands up. The X-Men are back together. Um, they've essentially taken over the country. It seems like. Yeah, and then Jenny Ransom was there. Her head's been shaved. What I don't know is, uh, has did um, did Jenny go through the treatment, or is she Jenny with a shaved head, or is she um, mind wiped to a certain degree? I don't know, and she doesn't have a line, so that's kind of what makes me think like she's in like hello boss mode because there is no dialogue to be like me and Philip, we're gonna be fine. <laughs> she just kind of stands there. All it says is uh, Philip Moreau can't repress the. Uh, a whale of anguish when he see sees what's been done to her. So yeah, it seems like the worst has happened, but I, I believe she reappears in extinction agenda. Yes. So we'll find out then. Yeah. Put a tack in it, put a pin in it. Wolverine's dying. Oh, that's who storm is holding. Okay. Yep. I was like, who is storm carrying now? Let's talk about this for a second. How is Storm carrying a 500-pound adamantium man? Wind power. Okay, fine. <laughs> uh, Citadel secure, boss. At too high a price, we should have been here sooner. Hems the brakes, darling. I had a good run. If this is where it ends, ain't such a bad way to go. But 
Carol comes out with a gun to Wipeout's head and says, give us our powers back or I'll shoot you in the head. <laughs> Storm notices that it doesn't sound at all like Rogue and Rogue does uh, says, this is the Carol Danvers side of her per- dual personality running things. And rather than let Wipeout uh, remove their powers, Psylocke goes into Wipeout's head and removes their powers or uh, returns their powers, I mean. Yep. And Wolverine says, felt better, Ace, but now I know I'll get to feel better. I feel great. Which is a confusing line of dialogue. I don't know what that means. I don't know what any of that means. Felt better, Ace, but now I know I'll get to feel better. I feel great. I'm sure there's a right way to read that, but I don't know what it is. Yeah, it's very confusing. So, uh, in order to try to clean up the rest of this, like, well, what about the Gene Genier and his magistrates? And uh, Wolverine's like, kill him. Dare the slime ball concentration camp country them down to bare rock and build something better. Philip says they can't, but I can be a spokesperson and I can try to make things better. I'll tell the people what's been going on and the people will hopefully make the right decision. And Wolverine says, no, they won't. Nope. They got everything to lose and nothing to gain. You'll be all you'll be doing is postponing the final confrontation and probably making it a whole lot worse. Maybe, but I gotta try. This is my country. I have to believe in it. You have to give us a chance. And then Storm says everyone outside for some reason. I thought they were outside, but I guess not. They're like Yeah. Yeah, I don't know where they are. Uh, and so they do go outside and, uh, storm commands. Oh, they go outside so that they can just show off this showcase of power. I get it. They blow up or Havoc blows up the, uh, Citadel and he's like, wait a minute. Where's Madeline? I haven't seen her since we left the Citadel. Oh Lord. And all the confusion. Could she be inside? Of course not. You're great goof. She says magically being there. I'm right here. You're not getting rid of me that easy. And Havoc says, but where's the baby? She says, not to worry. That's all been taken care of. Mm. Which I'm assuming means she gave the baby up to Nastir. I would, I would, yep. I think you're right. Uh, and then they're like, I've cast a, Silox says, I've cast a web over the memories. They'll remember that something happens, but not necessarily the X-Men. Mind wipe. Yep. Philip, you and Jenny, you better come with us uh, or you'll be killed. Yeah, you can't stay here. You can make your case better from somewhere safe. Gene mm-hmm. Engineer says, son, I beg you, consider what you're doing. You'll destroy everything we've worked for lifetimes here in Genosha to build. But, Dad, if mutants aren't free, then maybe what you've built isn't worth say- saving. Remember what Gene or remember what Storm said, Gene Engineer, and pray your boy succeeds. Because if you don't, you'll have us to deal with. And then, bub, there'll be blood. Yep, or doodle. Mm-hmm. Next month, vanities. Yeah, there you go. Whoo! That's it. That's the Genosha saga, part one. Yep, part one. Next month, Inferno. Or it doesn't start yet. I don't even know. So the uh, if if you're out at your comic book retailers or somewhere else where they sell used trade paperbacks or collections, the Extinction Agenda Omnibus is actually pretty good. It captures it's it captures uh, at least the one I have. I think there's multiples. The one that I have has uh, the twelve issue arc of Extinction Agenda, but it also has this story, and then it has uh, snippets from other elements of other comics where Genosha 
or Cameron Hodge, spoilers, are um, presented. And then you can kind of put the whole story together. I think that's the one. I, I think I have that one as well, although I was reading this out of the Inferno prologue which is the handful of issues before Inferno. There's another, <clears throat> excuse me, there's another Extinction Agenda that exists that, so let me back up. So the Extinction Agenda one that I have that has all the backstory and stuff um, is unaltered. It's just the original issues and the original snippets unaltered and just printed and presented as an entire complete story from start to finish. But the 12-part Extinction Agenda only omnibus. It's nine parts. Or nine parts, whatever it is. <clears throat> um they had to, there was references to things that were in other issues that weren't published in there, uh, and also uh, panels that were out of place. And so they redrew some of the panels. So the Extinction Agenda omnibus that I have says, like, in, in this omnibus, we showed you this, which was a new drawing, but the actual thing was this. Oh, so that's interesting. It's very interesting. But um, I used to have a, an uh, Extinction Agenda graphic novel i guess that was just those the nine issues i wonder if that had those different drawings i shouldn't have given that away oh well <laughs> i mean they weren't particularly good it was just like another artist mocking whoever was drawing that particular issue just to fill in like it'd be like one big panel with a ton of dialogue boxes in it just to explain some things that were in a previously published issue uh, okay. I mean, it's 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 a it's it's neat, but it's also kind of a classic X Men e. I see. But nevertheless, um, yeah, good times. Good times. So, uh, we we did get some communications, which I'm pulling up now because I didn't have them pulled up. Along with your pants. Dun 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 dun. We got a couple of voicemails that I will play for you now. Adam and Jeremy, hey, I just wanted to call and ask you something, but when I called in there, I got a question that came up. The phone rang in to the voicemail. What's that ringing in to? Why does that do that? Why does it ring like four or six times before the thing picks it up? Is there a basement somewhere that there's a phone ringing that you don't know about? I mean, it's possible. Adam and Jeremy, please, this is what I want to know. You got Nightcrawler. Now he's drowning in water. He's sinking so quickly. The only way out is to teleport up. When Nightcrawler teleports underwater, what happens? What is that like? Now I'm leaving a pause there. Because I want to ask you another question. I just thought up. what happens when you must set that man on fire and he tries to teleport? Now, I know it's dangerous, him teleporting. If he, if he teleports inside of a storm and it's raining and that rain gets inside of his body, it could cause him damage that could kill him. If he had a little raindrop appear in his eyeball, oh, I'm going to hang up right now. That image just made me sick. You guys have a great one. <laughs> Yes, uh, um, most of the questions that he has about Nightcrawler, I've often thought about, but applied more towards uh, Kitty. Um, he didn't leave his name. He didn't. Did I miss that? Nope. Oh. <laughs> well, listener, uh, <laughs> uh, we don't know where the phone the phone goes. 
I I do like to imagine that at Google headquarters because it's it's a Google uh, it's a Gmail or it's a it's a Google phone number. I like to imagine that uh, they have like like you know that scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark where they're boxing up the thing and they're putting it in the giant warehouse. So it's like a room filled with phones. Yes, <laughs> and you know there's there's one person, one security guard that's manning it, and he has it's his job to like walk up and down the aisles, make sure nothing's amiss, nothing's out of place. Uh, and and if any of the phones are off the receiver, and, and they're not cell phones, they're like they're like a phone that sits on a cradle, like an old school phone, um, and 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 yes, and it's just ringing all day, uh, and and this poor security guard is just like, I can't take it anymore. <laughs> he gets hazard pay, triple pay. It's, I mean, he's well taken care of, but it's it's a grueling job. Why does the room need a security guard? Oh, well, it's, you know, trade secrets. You know, they don't want Yahoo <laughs> figuring out what they're doing and stealing the Google phone technology, which is just a huge warehouse full of phones. Uh, yeah, that's exactly what's happening. Um, okay. <laughs> as far as uh, as far as Nightcrawler's concerned, I mean, I think I think the first ones, if he teleports up when he's in water, let's let's take all the other stuff out of it. Um, you know, he's either going to teleport above the water and be okay, or he's going to teleport into something and not be okay. Well, I think I think the question is, he's so deep that he can't see above the water. No. So if he teleports up and he's still in the water, is his body like filled with water? Yeah, he's teleported. Definitely teleported. So yeah, I like I I like to imagine that the teleportation is like a disintegration of his body and then a reintegration of his body. So, and almost like. You know, if, if it's like a especially polleny or dusty day, I mean, think about that. If he reappears, he's getting all that pollen and dust inside of his body. That can't be good. I think part of his mutant powers is that he is protected from uh, smaller kind of things. So when he is reintegrated, he is reintegrated as he was. Uh, obviously, this does not affect like people that he teleports, right? Because they they don't have his mutant. Uh, like put back together power so he can teleport other people into objects. I think that would be an interesting storyline to go, maybe they've done it, I don't know, that, that Nightcrawler has teleported so much and he's been picking up these trace amounts of pollutants and stuff that that he's sick and he's dying, but somehow the crux of the story is that he has to teleport one last time and then he dies and it's very sad. And then they bring him back to life in like 20 issues. I think that's what happens. Really? <laughs> Well, no, I don't know why, I, but I, I think I think. Uh, Wait, did Nightcrawler die in the comics? At some point, I, I think he does. does Spoilers. He, but does he come back? Yeah, of course. Oh, okay. Everybody, everybody comes back. It's not even a question anymore. Yeah, but then as far as all the other things go, like I, I mostly attribute those other questions to Kitty because I think she's even said like, "Oh, if I if I phase through something and I solidify, I don't even want to think what would happen." So yeah, if she phases into like a like a rainstorm and defazes she'd have all that like water in her and then you got to wonder like if her bones solidify around a drop of water what wins the drop of water or her bones uh well uh i i suppose the the atoms of the the bones get rearranged right around the water drop yeah she's like all weird inside yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, I think I think Nightcrawler, though, has like some sort of put back together uh, mutant power. OK, so small like water would probably mess him up. Certainly solid object would. But you're well, thinking no, like I, I think what happens is like he he disintegrates, as you say, but he reintegrates 
no matter where he is, whatever is around him gets displaced. So if he's in water, the water gets displaced around where he teleports. Oh, uh, but he's he's so much as said, like, oh, I don't know, like, if I teleport into something, I don't even want to think about what would happen. Well, yeah, if you teleport into a brick wall, even if the bricks get displaced, you're still stuck at a brick wall. Oh, okay. Oh, I see what you're saying. So the rest of his, his body would be encased in brick wall, but he... so. It's almost as if he's like pushing his molecules outward and like yes. anything around him is getting pushed out. But but he's so so he's not like fused uh, with the brick, but the brick is around him and he's stuck. That's that's what I'm saying. Just okay. to avoid all of the, uh, the grossness, all of the issues that would have would have by now have shown up if 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 it were true that things like get get into his body, then that would have been covered in some comic book at some point. So my excuse for them never covering that is that it's his he displaces things. Okay, we got one more uh, voice message. Uh, this one is from Oakland, California, uh, and I'm going to play it now. Right now, hang on, I'm going to play it now. Yo, what's up? This is Lewis from Oakland, California. It's late I'm calling because I just listened to your. Uh, first episode with the press game from Genosha and uh, I read this issue a while ago and I kind of forget what the art is like so I don't remember if I like it or not but I do remember thinking uh, this is a pretty interesting storyline and I'm really excited to hear you guys' take on the upcoming issues um and it all leads up to the Extinction Agenda, which I remember kind of liking. And uh, that was one of the things that I got to read when I was a kid before I was an adult that could actually afford to buy the comics and read them. Um, anyway, that's it. I'm just like driving home from a long day at work uh, and <laughs> just decided to... Uh, leave a message so keep up the work keep up the good work danger room and i hope you guys uh enjoyed the new uh dark phoenix trailer and i think i hate to admit it but i liked it so much that i ended up having a dream that i was at a exclusive advanced screening of the whole Dark Phoenix movie, and I remember watching half of the movie in my dream. Uh, so that's how much the trailer affected me. Who knows if it's actually going to be any good. All right. Peace out. Yes. Who knows if it's going to be any good. Do you think in his dream he only saw half the movie because he walked out? <laughs> I don't know. Y you would have to ask... Uh, Lewis, you got to let us know. Lewis from California. <laughs> Did you know that um, when I was a kid, I uh, dreamed the entire sequel to Transformers the movie? Yeah, yeah. I was I was really into Transformers as a kid, and and uh, yeah, yeah. I dreamed the entire sequel. Did Optimus Prime come back? I don't remember because I was young, mm. <laughs> but I, I did start transcribing it into like the page just so I could remember it and i could i have to see if i can find that yeah i'm sure optimus came back i loved optimus who didn't um so yeah uh normally adam and i 
do like a speculations podcast or a trailer breakdown podcast. I'm not really feeling it with this movie nor this trailer. You know what? We'll do it if you uh, if you patronize us. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I feel like by the time we get enough patrons to warrant a trailer breakdown, the movie will be out. <laughs> uh, we'll definitely do an episode for the movie because that's that's what we do. But the, I don't know that the trailer. I mean, we can talk about it now for a few minutes if you want, Adam. I don't. I can't. I, I have. I have. I seen it. There's a, a scene of, of Jean sitting in like a like an alleyway and she's like, why did you make me do it? And it seems like maybe it's a call to uh, Annie Richards dying, but maybe not. Maybe she kills all the X-Men and it, that's a direct prequel to the Logan movie, but I doubt it. I uh, Yeah, I, I won't be able to do it now because I can't oh, okay. remember it at all. I'm pretty sure I've seen it, but it did not it did not stick with me. So I'd have to I'd have to I'd have to prepare. Yeah. And then there's a scene of uh, like like a blackbird or some spaceship in space. Uh, but yeah, spaceship in space, spaceship in space. So uh, uh, we'll Adam and I will rewatch the trailer and in our next episode of the danger room proper, we'll we'll give you a, a five to seven minute dark phoenix breakdown i'll see it of course but uh there's nothing yeah, definitely in, gonna go see it there's nothing in the trailer or nothing about it that made me want to go to it like i wanted to go to see captain marvel i uh i remember liking the teaser trailer okay i don't remember the teaser trailer i don't remember the trailer at all mm. and i would love to talk about new mutants but the trailer is so um um I don't want this to sound like a bad thing. It's so lacking. There's like, there's a, there's just like a lot of jump scares and like characters, but like not enough for anybody to even speculate what's happening there. I'm looking forward to it, but I don't think there's anything really to talk about with that one. It looks like it has potential. (laughs) It's too bad because I think that potential is going to be like, okay, well, Fox invested the money. We got to make it back. And then we're done. (laughs) Starting it all over. So it's almost kind of like, is it worth watching it? Does it, I mean, does it matter? Yeah, it's worth watching it. Right. If he, And that's the way I'm looking at it. at least New Mutants as just like, this is just going to be a standalone film from the trailer. It doesn't look like, I mean, it's loosely connected in the X-Men universe, but I certainly wouldn't expect to see a Professor Xavier or Wolverine or Cyclops. I just expect to see mutant kids in like a haunted house or wherever they're at. Maybe a, maybe like a psycho house. I don't know. Psycho house. Psycho house. <laughs> So there you go. Uh, if you would like to get a hold of us and... We'll totally play your messages like we just did. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we'll, we'll read your your comments. Uh, Patreon allows you to, you know, in, in addition to your donation. But you can also send us a message via, via their interface uh, or www.xmenpodcast.com, facebook.com forward slash danger room podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Danger Room Go. Email, as always, DangerRoom at XMenPodcast.com. Or you can go out to iTunes, search uh, us up in the podcast section. We're the first ones that come up for Danger Room. And as two people did uh, in the month of March, you can call us at 501-GET-X-MEN. That's 501-438-9636. Let's say you're driving home from a long day of work and you want to tell us about some weird movie dream you had. (laughs) You can do that. 
That's great. <laughs> we, and we will play you on our podcast. Uh, and of course, uh, as, as mentioned uh, before, you can go out to patreon.com forward slash danger room and become a patron. We certainly appreciate those that have already done so. And uh, finally, our theme music is provided by Laszlo Hollyfeld. The veil has been lifted on the Patreon $5 level. Now you know what it is. You get to be a comic book character. I don't know if there there's going to be that many uh, comic book characters that appear that much, but we'll do our best. Yes, Ryan Cornish was the inaugural background character cameo uh, in future episodes. You may be a background character that um, doesn't have any dialogue, but I think, Adam, we can commit to, like, we'll put, publish that panel and be like, this is patron so-and-so in the comic yeah we can do that and we'll we'll talk about that character of course and his backstory even if he or she doesn't have any dialogue yeah yeah i mean if if if, if the character doesn't have any dialogue don't worry there will be a backstory oh yeah you know for brian we're not going to publish the photo because we brian he got lots of talking about he's still getting talking. <laughs> it's time to move on move on adam yeah so we did some we did some reading will you move on please i'm moving no okay this is me i'm moving Faster. Uh, this is me moving. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. I remember that. What was that guy? Blur. The Transformers guy who talked really fast. It was the Micro Machines guy. It, it was. That? I do remember that. <laughs> I also have a fondness for the Transformer movie, but interestingly enough, I didn't see it until I was an adult. Oh. Yeah. And I still uh, liked it very much. I saw it in the theaters, and I was shocked that they killed Optimus Prime. Spoilers. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, what? Do you have any idea what year? I mean, we could look it up, but do you remember what year that came out? Was it like 87, 88 or something? Yeah, somewhere around there. I was young, so. So I feel like both uh, Transformers and Masters of the Universe hit the theater, not the animated Masters of the Universe. Yeah, yeah. Shira, the Dolph Lundgren. The Dolph Lundgren. Like, both of those hit the theater. And I was like, I'm into Silverhawks, guys. I'm way <laughs> too old for this. And I didn't. I just didn't see them. Although, I did have the Transformers movie on uh, soundtrack on vinyl. That was a good soundtrack. Oh, man. I was baffled as to, like, why is Weird Al Yankovic on this soundtrack? <laughs> it doesn't make any, doesn't even make any sense in the movie, really, but... It doesn't, but it's there. But, and I don't mind it. Uh no, it's great. And so as an adult, probably 19 years old, I finally got my hands on some form of it. I was like, I'm going to finally watch this, fully expecting to be like, this is terrible. And I I ate it up. Did you cry? I, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe I cried. But but I, I think, I, I don't know that I knew that Optimus Prime had died. Like, oh. I just figured that, like, the because I'd seen some of the the space Transformers, is essentially what I called them. Like, there was my Transformers, the Transformers that lived on the spaceship on the Earth, crashed into the mountain. And then there mm -hmm. was this other series of Transformers where they were always in space. Oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't like any of those. I'd watch them every now and then. Like, I don't know who these people are. I don't care. And I just figured that either Optimus Prime was retired or <laughs> wasn't in that episode. I had no idea that he had died. And and so when I I was shocked like oh my god they, and I fully expected like by the time this movie's over they're they're going to have figured out a way to use the matrix of power leadership to bring him back and they didn't I was like wow that's that's gutsy 
the the I can remember coming out of the theater and thinking like I think I may have even said it out loud is I can't believe they killed Optimus Prime as like as a kid I was just like I didn't think that was a thing that you could do you can't do that you can't kill off the main character and then the other thing that shocked me was that Transformers swore in that movie and I was like what yeah and there was a reason for that I was watching in a recent documentary um PG rated movies get at the time got more play than a G-rated movie. Oh, so they bumped it up to get more people so the in the o- seats? Yes. Well, yeah, they, they figured that, you know, the more screenings that they could have, and they could only have X amount with G, but they could have more if they had a PG rating. Uh, they figured they'd get more people in the seats, they'd make more money, and so they just slipped in the one... The one thing... It's Spike, right? That swears? There, well, there's, there's two. Um, but I think somebody I, says, I, damn I, it, but that... That's almost not enough to get yourself the PG. But the, but the thing is, I think like when they released the VHS, they may have cut one of them. Oh, I have the DVD version, which definitely has the. Yeah, by the by the time DVD was out, they they were they returned them. But I remember renting the VHS when it came out, and the swears were gone, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. Was this like a pre-internet Mandela effect? Were you like? No, I'm, I'm, I suppose it could, it totally, it totally could be. He swore. I know he swore, but I'm watching it right now and he's not swearing. Oh my God. I crossed over to a different dimension where Spike doesn't swear. It could be. I wish I owned a copy that so I could prove it, but I, I, no, I I think think such a thing exists. No, I I think you're right. I think, I think I've, uh, I've read up on that controversy. (laughs) The, the, do the Transformers swear controversy? I think the same video company that released like all the G.I. Joe and Transformers home video stuff was in charge of releasing that. And they're like, well, this is for kids. Can't have these people swearing. Yeah. We'll sense. get complaints. So, yes. Anyhow, what do you want to talk about first, Adam? I can talk about New Mutant 70. You should do that. All right. Uh, th- this is wrapping up a, a long confusing and uninteresting arc uh the new mutants managed to escape from spider's uh spider cell with the help of gossamer who sacrifices herself in exchange for their help to save her family but they managed to reverse her sacrifice and she joins the team uh, i think she's in the team for a couple issues not really sure uh meanwhile back at home magneto is attacked by a demonic railing because uh, cause of New York is all the Inferno stuff. Mm-hmm. And so he joins the heads of the Hellfire Club in an investigation to figure out what's going on in New York. And there seems to be an alliance brewing between Magneto and the White Queen and uh, the Black King and the, the Black Queen uh, are, I guess, the White Queen and the White King are opposing the Black King and the Black Queen. I don't know if the Black King and Queen know about this yet. Doesn't seem like it. Uh, the mutants and Gossamer do not manage to save Gossamer's family from turning into giant monsters. And Lila Cheney saves everyone by sacrificing herself and teleporting the monsters and herself into the sun that is nearby. You mean Lila Cheney? Lila Cheney is dead. Oh, my God. I can't imagine Cannonball's very happy about that. No, he's pretty upset. Um, I'm pretty sure she'll be back in no time at all. Uh, Eliana attempts to teleport back to Earth. But as as you know, when they stop in limbo, because uh, as she has to, uh, this time they find that Sim has officially taken over limbo and now they are stuck in limbo 
with bad sim. So that's that's New Mutant seventy. I'm surprised that this isn't uh, that that issue isn't covered in the um, uh, the. I guess it's tra- trailing off of another storyline. But I mean, there's snippets of Inferno in there that seems like it would be appropriate for the Inferno prologue. Not really. No. Other than the very last panel, I don't think so. Hmm. Uh, and maybe maybe sometimes they reprint like pages or panels. Right. So it it could just they'll reprint that particular page in the next book. I'll keep my eyes open for it. Please. Will do. Uh, I read Exterminators number two. I also read Exterminators number two. Um, really, the, there's another misunderstanding between the goblins and Nice Nastir. Uh, Nastir is reading some magic book, and he wants to be able to read the spells faster. Uh. So the goblins, I don't know. The goblins misunderstand what that is. And in addition to looking for uh, more children, um, they're also looking for something that can help the master go faster. But I want to draw your, do you have this open, Adam? Yes. I want to draw your attention to, uh, I don't have page numbers in the copy that I'm reading, but it's when they're in the hover car, it's uh, the top panel is Boom Boom, Richter, Rusty, uh, and Skids and Taki, is, mm-hmm. that, is that his name? Uh, Doesn't matter. I don't. I don't remember. Are you looking at the panel that I just described? Yes. What is happening with Boom Boom's waist? Well, see, for some reason, this artist likes to draw her, and also uh, the other. What is it? What is the other girl's name? Skids. Skids. Um, they have these like ridiculously tiny wastes no i get that adam but her like we're looking at her butt I is think. it her butt well it's, it's I, I was i'm not sure if it's her butt or her front it's it's one or the other but regardless like her hip is at a 90 degree angle to her chest she's posing uh, ever <laughs> well one could think that but i mean that is a heck of a twist like i i have had this issue in my collection since i was a, a kid like when i originally hit the shelves and this panel just stuck out to me as like, what is happening here? Yeah, it's not, you know, it's a, it's a bad drawing. <laughs> it's it's crazy. Like, I feel like the artist is like, yeah, she's she's kind of pivoting away and, and we're getting like a look at her butt. Because, yes, the artist clearly likes to draw skinny midriffs and like pajamas and underwear. And so I get we're going for a little bit of sex appeal here, but the position in which she is in is just insane. It almost looks like, her her torso is sliding off of her bottom because now that that's all set back like way further like the more i look at this the more messed up they don't even look like part they're part of the same body it looks like boom boom's body is like sitting behind this fake pair of legs <laughs> um i'm going to imagine that what you like this, this, like, if this is the, the, the... Wait, no, no, look how this shirt is, like, resting on, like, the bottom torso of another, like, a mannequin. Well, here's what I'm doing. I'm taking that, the, the cheek that is closest to us, the audience, uh-huh. I'm turning that into a knee. So oh, she's doing, like, a, no. she, she's standing with her knees up. Oh, I need to find... I don't know if that's what it's supposed to be. I feel like, but... no, I feel like she's wearing, like, some pink underwear but i think if you look at it like 
No, because if you go further, when she blows up the Pepsi machine, she's definitely wearing little pink underwear. I, I know, I know. And I'm I'm just saying, in order to make my mind understand this picture, I'm turning her butt into a knee. Oh, I'm with you. If you do that, like now now she's got like like pink like biker shorts that just go down to her knees. And then, yeah. then the image uh, mostly works. But if you <laughs> don't do that, like it's horrifying. Like I think the demons have cut her in half. I think there was a miscommunication between the penciler and the inker. I don't know and, what's uh, happening here. The the penciler drew the knee and the oh. inker said, no, that's a butt. How? I think you might be right, Adam. I think you might be right. That's what I'm going for. The other, oh, you know what? But the other thing is like, if you look, if you go back another page, uh, you'll see. So it's kind of like a, a Batman 66 car, but it's flying. So it's got like those two bubbles for windshields. You've got skids on the left, Taki's driving on the right, and then you got Boom Boom, Rusty, and um, um, Shaky Man in the back, Richter. And then if you turn the page, now we're getting a side view of the car. So like, what perspective of Boom Boom are we looking at? <laughs> A miscommunication <laughs> between the penciler and the inker is the only thing I'm going to go with. I think I think you might be right, but the more I look at it, just the more I see like, nope, somebody drew like a butt and a pair of legs and then boom, boom behind it. <laughs> That's anyways. what it looks like. <laughs> All right. Anyways, I spent way too much time on that. Um, the They get costumes. They go into like a, like a clothing store and Taki is able to use his powers. Takashi. Takashi, sorry, uh, is able to use his powers to to change all of the things into neat looking costumes. Although I guess they call him Taki, so never mind. And he's uh, he's got a trust fund, so he's able to uh, manufacture a credit card. So I guess not only does he have manipulation over his wheelchair, he can basically manipulate anything. Uh, and he, he manipulates credit card and he's like, oh, we're going to pay for the damage and we're going to pay for the Pepsi machine. and We're going to pay for all the stuff with my trust fund. Let's go. We're a team. We're the exterminators, just like X Factor used to be. And, and this is important because the 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 demon Crotus, who is, I guess, Nastir's right hand man, right hand demon, overhears this whole uh, computer thing, and he thinks, well, Taki, Taki can do uh, do spell checking for the master. Right. He says something like, I, I used to not be very good at school and I, I couldn't spell very well, but then I got a computer and it's got spell check and I got way faster. And so Crotus is like, oh, he he can help the master with his spells. Mm -hmm. He'd be a good spell checker. Dun, and we're supposed to go, ha ha. Dun, 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 dun. Meanwhile, some demons have stolen a baby from a family that gets way too many panels. It's actually kind of... Uh, 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 sad <laughs> you, you you meet this family and the dad's like oh i worked so hard but i want to give us a living and the the markets are down but like somehow i've been spared we have to cut corners and but i'm doing it all for you baby and i'm doing it all for our kid hey where is that little rug rat and they go up to say goodbye or good night to the little boy and these demons are flying away with the baby and and the dad gets killed by one of the demons it is a really weird three pages and yeah i agree with you it it's actually the best part of the comic book. It really is. Like it's it's well drawn. It's weird. They, these characters look like some sort of kind of political cartoons. Kind of exaggerated. Yeah. It kind of looks like a, uh, the the initial introduction of the guy going to kiss his wife at the newspaper. Totally looks like a Doonesbury character. Yeah, and, and we get to, we like really get to know these people, mm -hmm. and then just 
they're gone. And you can sympathize with him. Like all this man wants to do, like he's sacrificing it now so that he's got a future for everybody later. And then the baby is stolen and he gets eaten, I think. Yeah, no, he's, he's something. He's, there's, there's blood coming out of his neck. Yes. So anyways, and the rest of the book is like pretty slapsticky with the kids like blowing up Pepsi machines and trying on costumes and separating their torsos from their top sides. And a lot of uh, a lot of the last couple of pages are about how the rest of the team is ignoring Taki because I don't know, he's in a wheelchair, I guess. He's a kid. So like at least that's what he rations like it, and it doesn't really make any sense because this whole time like Taki's been like the car. <laughs> he's been the one that like like Artie and Leech have been stolen. Let's go get those other kids. And then all of a sudden they just decide to ignore him to try to figure out the problem. They can't get through to X factor. So Rusty's trying to make a plan and Taki's like, um, why don't we just go over there? I see a goblin. Oh, why won't you listen to me? And I guess that's part of the problem is because he's talking about goblins and they don't believe him. Although why would you, you live in the world of X factor. How right. could you not believe in goblins at this point? Yeah. So the goblins get Taki. Exterminators are like, where's Taki? Oh, my God, he's getting flown away by those goblins. Maybe we should have listened to him. Darn, darn, darn. And they start fighting the goblins, and uh, Crotus brings Taki to Nastir and says, hey, I brought you a spell checker. <laughs> <laughs> and Nastir's like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> but actually, no, he says, he got a computer. Tell him, boy, tell him what computer do. You program it, and it processes information really quickly. But, so I feel, feel like he's going to create, like, a demon computer for this spell stuff. It could be. I don't think, so this is the weird thing about Exterminators. Um, I missed, like, every other issue, so I didn't have one, and I didn't have three. <laughs> oh. So I think I saw this part of the story. I don't know what happens next, and then I saw them saving the day. Okay. More or less. Oh, spoilers. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, they saved the day in the confines of Exterminators. Like, the rest of Inferno goes on for... Uh, a couple more months after Exterminators finishes, if I remember. So where we leave off is that Crotus uh, is asking permission to eat um, the, the the two mutant kids, who's Artie and Leech. Yep. And Nastir has been saying all issue that whoever helps him out gets to eat Artie and Leech. But of course, we know that he didn't really help him out. The the other thing that we kind of learned in this is that uh, what what um, Nastir is attempting to do is use Belasco's spell books to bring limbo into new york and in order to accomplish that he needs to kidnap 13 mutant infants right so i don't know if we had that spelled out concretely for us before yeah but it was definitely spelled out here yes if not it has been now so yeah and then finally uh marvel comics presents number 12 another chapter of colossus which this one was better i thought it was okay it seemed like a lot of like, I don't know. He breaks free from the thing that he was trapped in last issue. And then he's with the family that was calling him a commie. And then they continue calling him a commie. <laughs> well, the dad does because the dad is presented as a jerk. Yes. The dad's not a nice person at all. So they, they go to, um, well, we, we learned that the, the mutants that Colossus is fighting Possibly work for the CIA or something. Maybe, but they but they're not mutants. They're uh, they have power upgrades. Oh right, which... and 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 the dad's like, uh, that's not possible. That only happens in your country. This is America. Right, right. 
And the rest of the family is like, shut up, dad. And um, they run to the police. But it turns out that the police are in the pocket of the CIA or whoever the, the guy who washes his hands is from the last issue. Yep. And so they retreat to the family farmhouse where in the weirdest panel ever, like the mom just loses it. Like she goes from a normal character in one panel to just becoming this person who just is like repeating all these motherly things. It's, 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 it's a neat thing, except that it just happens so quickly that it's hard to get, see what happens. Well, I mean, she's, she's, freaked out she's she's maybe she's believing a little bit of what colossus is saying that their own government is after them and and so this her coping mechanism it's kind of like the damsel in distress type of thing which is a little disappointing well, she, but she she snaps and that's really an interesting story like she snaps right but it, it it's not if you're reading I, I i don't think as a kid i would have gotten that kind of harkens to uh, Night of the Living Dead. And the only reason I say that is because they're in a farmhouse, they're boarding it up, and all of a sudden she's like, oh, everyone must be hungry. I'll fix lunch. I just ironed those curtains. They're a mess. Perhaps I'll fix some lunch. I just washed those curtains. I've never seen Night of the Living Dead. What? You have to. I haven't, but I have been to the graveyard where they shot it. That, well, all right. In the movie, (laughs) they're in the farmhouse, and the woman who we see at the beginning of the movie, she she shuts down as, as soon as um, the, our hero shows up. Uh, and she's like, Johnny, Johnny had the car. I have to find Johnny. Johnny's her brother. And so she kind of goes into the same sort of catatonic, like, uselessness. Okay, so they probably got it from that. Yeah. The, uh, the cemetery is just a normal cemetery. We went to one of the very specific graves that I guess is in the movie, but I didn't ever see the movie, so it didn't mean a lot to me. How have how have you not seen the movie? Did you see the remake? Uh, I don't. I, th- I think I've seen the remake of Dawn of the Dead and the original Dawn of the Dead. We went to that mall too. What? You, I thought you were like some sort of a cinema guy. I'm aware of them. I just oh. haven't seen them. Oh. It's you know everybody has their blind spots. I have I I have seen the original Dawn of the Dead. Which yeah, is that's a good I movie. Think, probably better than nope. Night of the Living Dead. No. <laughs> no. Adam, your assignment uh is to watch Night of the Living It's like ninety minutes long. My girlfriend owns Night of the Living Dead on Blu-ray. She bought the Criterion Collection one, so yeah, I know I have to watch oh, it. The, the Criterion Collection's the best. It's all cleaned up and there's a ton of excellent extras on, on it. I only have the Criterion uh, DVD, but I'm sure it's the same material. So I, I I will see it. I mean, she made me go to the cemetery, so obviously it's some it's on her to do list. I'm gonna start dating your girlfriend. <laughs> like this guy. The mall was pretty cool, though. We we got to walk around the mall and kind of figure out where they shot different stuff. Yeah, I I'm so jealous. We had of like that. we had like stills from the movie that we were trying to find. Sure, I've seen many YouTube videos where they they hold up like the still and then they show the scene and then they show like here's where it is. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, here's the J.C. Penny you saw in the movie that's no longer a J.C. Penny or whatever. Yeah, none of the old stores are there. Well, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't think so. Uh, I'm I'm I I see you in a new light, Adam. I'm very disappointed that you have (laughs) never seen Night of the Living Dead. It's a blind spot. I'm not a horror guy. I've never really been into horror films. But it's 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 like a it's a I don't want to say it's a masterpiece, but I want to say that it's a milestone in filmmaking. Yeah, I, I would agree with you without even having seen it. I know that. Yeah, all right. 
Anyway, the dad hands out guns to everybody in the family, and the the kid points his gun at Colossus, and that's where we end. Yes, he says, uh, hey, you, are you really a commie like dad says? And spoilers, I looked ahead. I don't think this goes anywhere. Oh. I think we pick up, and the kid is no longer pointing his gun at Colossus. Oh, that is a spoiler. Oh, I did not look ahead. So I just assume that uh, little Jimmy there uh, shoots Colossus in the face. And Colossus, like, turns metal, and then it ricochets and kills his mom or something? No, he dies, and, and the, the uh, Peter that we see in future issues is actually his twin brother, Peter. Oh, Colossus <laughs> dies. Wow. Well, twice, because, uh, spoilers, he dies in the future and then comes oh, back. Oh, man. This is intense. All right. Uh, so, audience, you also have to help me shame Adam for not seeing Night of the Living Dead. Bring it on! <laughs> this this is going to be a very hard thing for me to let go, Adam. Okay. <laughs> How much you want to bet he's going to forget by next week? No, no. This this reframes and reshapes my understanding of you. Hey, have you been to the cemetery? No, I would love to go oh, to the cemetery. Oh, wow, jeez. You haven't even been to the cemetery. You live by the cemetery and the mall. More or technically, less. Technically, it's like three hours away. Yeah, so it's I wouldn't like say I... 18 hours away from me. So anyways, that's that's a weekend. Three hours away is a weekend getaway. <laughs> you have to take a week of vacation off just to go see the stupid mall. <laughs> anyways. All right, folks. I think that about wraps it up, huh? That about wraps it up. All righty. Well, until next time, my name's Jeremy. My name's Adam. And Adam hasn't seen Night of the Living Dead. Predictable. Bye. Bye.